0: BLOB TALK RADIO national. In this month's live broadcast of The Way of Healing, my name is Susan Brozak and I'm a licensed clinical Christian psychotherapist and founder of Healing Word Psychotherapy Services, my private practice. Thank you so much for joining me this evening. Tonight we're going to be looking at part 2 of a two-part series called Guidance for Dealing with Marital Conflict. So, as we look tonight at this second part, at conflict within marriage, Um, This is an issue that's a common reality for many couples, but it doesn't need to be a constant or prevailing pattern in marriages when perspective is gained and tools for resolution are given and put into practice. So we will be discovering biblical principles tonight concerning husband and wife relationships. We'll explore ways to strengthen a marriage and turn conflicts into opportunities for growth, not just growth with our spouse, but also with God himself. And we'll also take a close look at the covenant of marriage and what God intended it to be and how our relationship with our spouse is actually a reflection of the relationship that Christ, our bridegroom, has with us as his bride. So I just want to start out tonight um, where we picked up, picked up last time, which was um, last month with part one of this broadcast. And you can go back and listen to... That broadcast, um, it's archived for on-demand listening, um, and you can find that um, easily on uh, Blog Talk Radio um, by just entering some search keywords, and that's part one. So if you missed part one you want to listen to that, um, you can find it there. And tonight, now we're going to resume with part two, and we're going to be picking up with ways that we can have... Productive, if I can call it that, disagreements. So we know that disagreements um, are pretty much inevitable in a marriage relationship. You're not going to agree on every single thing um, that you go through. So have kind of seven quick rules, if you will, for having a disagreement that's productive versus destructive, which can also happen um, when it turns into a full-blown argument. But we're going to focus tonight on seven things that can be helpful. So the first one um, is to be committed to honesty and mutual respect. So when you're having a discussion about the issue that's disagreed upon or the conflict, um, just to be honest about your feelings and also respectful as you express your feelings. Um, Number two, Make sure the words that you're using don't wound or demean your spouse. Number three, agree that the timing is right to have a discussion about this particular issue because sometimes you might be just on your way to to an appointment and a topic starts up and you know you're not going to have enough time to really talk it through. So just be aware of that as well in terms of when the, the right time would be to discuss a serious issue. Um, number four, be ready with a positive solution. So kind of try to think through in a problem-solving way, okay, what are some options for resolution for this issue that you could offer? Um, five, watch your words and guard your tone. You know, tone can be really um, a trigger and can be really off-putting when it comes to marital discussions. So somebody can can state some words, and if they say it in the correct tone, it, there's no real uh, chance that someone would take offense at that. But if the tone is changed, sometimes even just a little bit, or if there's condescension or someone's patronizing, um, it can immediately put that other person on the defense. So just kind of be aware of how your tone sounds in the in the midst of the discussion. Number six: Don't fight in public. That's big one Um, and I'm sure we've all seen (laughs) um, couples fighting in public and it's just uncomfortable all around and also um, it takes away from the fact that this is a private discussion that needs to be handled privately and without um, an audience and finally number seven when the discussion is over help clean up the mess so to speak so this involves deliberately being kind, um, tenderness, forgiveness. Um, in other words, don't leave the, the wound infected. So if the discussion is particularly challenging, there can be, you know, some raw um, emotions after something like that. And so just be part of the solution and not the problem at that point. Don't leave the wound infected. Um, clean it out, if you will, and gently sew it up. Just be kind of, Aware of being kind and um, you know maybe even soft spoken um, with your spouse after a particularly difficult discussion. Just give it some time to have the emotions deescalate, which means kind of uh, ease up um, and just give some some time for healing too, and some consideration that. And a marriage really needs to be a place of comfort and nurture. So a main task of every marriage is for each partner to nurture the other. And more than ever before, given the anonymous nature of the culture that we live in, ideally we need our spouse to understand how we feel and respond with tenderness, and we need to do the same thing. So love begins with paying attention, and is this always the case that we're able to pay attention perfectly and and express ourselves perfectly? Absolutely not. (laughs) It's very challenging. It's difficult. It's one of the challenges of marriage is how to make your point without um, ha- causing an escalation in a disagreement, and we'll look more at this later. Um, but that's really a big task within a marriage is that it is a safe place of comfort and nurture, like I mentioned. Um, author Roy Gesch wrote a book called Made for Each Other, a book about marriage. And he brings great insight and wisdom to the topic of marriage and also how to deal with the inevitability of marital conflict. So he addresses every issue from a very solid biblical perspective, which is very important to me and in in terms of what I do at my practice as well. Um, One topic that he discusses in his book is what it takes to make a quote, good Christian marriage. So that's kind of a a phrase that can be used in sometimes not the best context. But he says, in order to make a good Christian marriage, a truly good one, we could begin by listing love, faith, consideration, patience, understanding. But he says that there's something even more basic than those. To start with the absolutely basic ingredients, we must say that it takes first and foremost two good Christians to make a good Christian marriage. So it takes not just one, but two people who are truly spiritually alive and committed to the Lord, two people who are alive in Christ and have and share that life in the Lord Jesus Christ. So a Christian marriage, so to speak, needs more than just pious words or religiosity or that type of thing. It needs to be genuine And it needs to be constructed out of attitudes, emotions, and and actions that all indicate the spiritual life of the person. So essentially, it's a bond, it's a relationship, and a commitment between two followers of the Lord Lord Jesus Christ. And it really is a covenant. Marriage is a covenant. And as we know from Scripture, God made covenants with human beings, and he also takes covenants very seriously. So for marriage, it's two people who are really living the new life that God has given them together in ways that honor not only each other, but God himself. And along these lines, Dr. Gary Thomas's perspective on marriage in his book, The Sacred Marriage, what if God designed marriage to make us holy even more than to make us happy? This is a book that's um, really a game changer. It's a transformational book. Um, that I've done some teachings on along with my husband. We've taught some studies on this from this book. Um, and it changes your perspective on what marriage really is. And I, and that's something that I don't say lightly. I use this book a lot in my practice. It's helped a lot of couples. Um, and Dr. Thomas describes marriage as being really about spiritual growth And again, a covenant in which God shapes us more into the image of his son, Jesus. So marriage has a sacred purpose, and hence his title, The Sacred Marriage. The intimacy and closeness of two married people creates the perfect setting for growth, maturing, and lessons in holiness. (laughs) And so as we allow God to use our spouse as one tool to refine us, we will draw closer to the Lord, and as a result, we'll also draw closer to our spouse. So if marriage is approached with this right perspective and with this attitude, it really can be a beautiful reflex, reflection of the relationship that Christ, our bridegroom, desires to have us with us as his bride. So in this way, marriage can be really a life-changing endeavor if we allow it to be so. So if you're really looking to challenge yourself And if you really want a different perspective on what marriage really is when you involve the Lord, um, that's a great book to get. And again, it's called The Sacred Marriage by Gary Thomas, Um, just giving you another tool for really being able to work on the deeper issues um, within the context of a marriage. Returning back now to Roy Gesh's comments from his book, Made for Each Other, he suggests a prayer that you can pray for yourself and for your, your spouse. And I thought I would just read it here on the air tonight. And it says basically this, Dear Lord, help us to recognize that the best way to assure that our marriage is right is by making sure that we are right. Help us strengthen our spiritual foundations daily through your word and prayer and right standing with you. Regenerate us. Give us a faith that converts words into meaningful attitudes and actions. Let our whole life reflect the love that's vibrantly alive for you and for each other. Make and keep us both truly alive in Christ through your spirit. Amen. So just something like that, that you can pray with your spouse. Um, I think praying daily together is an excellent idea. Um, it keeps you connected in in both Ways, both vertically and horizontally, you're staying connected both with God, obviously, um, and then also with your spouse, when you take time to pray with each other together. Um, and then Gesh goes on to discuss what it means for husbands. What does that role really look like? We talked a little bit about this uh, last month's broadcast, but I'm just going to expand on this for a moment or two. And he talks about Ephesians 5.31, which says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So this togetherness ideally should be so complete that the wife is as much a part of her husband as he is his as is his very own body, and that he nourishes and cherishes her, provides and cares for her as much as he does for himself. And that's grounded in Ephesians five, twenty eight and twenty nine. So this sounds like a really tall order, and it is. (laughs) He can attempt to feel his wife's hurts and be there for her, and he can rejoice in her good fortune as if it were his own. In fact, um, they are to be so much one, the husband and wife, that the wife's good fortune is also his. So these things are obviously not easy standards to meet. And um, as I read them, understand that I'm not trying to minimize the challenge that's that's inherent within um, these goals. The good news is that we have the Lord Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit, the grace and strength and wisdom on how to live in such a way within our marriage. And I'll go into that more in a little bit. Um, but just to continue on with this, it goes beyond feelings. So the husband ideally needs to try to be sensitive enough, not only just to care about his wife, but to then do something about it. You you may hear this phrase, love is an action verb. Uh, that's very true. You know, it's one thing to feel the emotion and it's another thing to act on that and um, be loving in terms of how you're treating and behaving and responding towards your spouse. So... Since this is a lot to ask, how can two people become so fully one? And the key really is love. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. A lot of us have heard that scripture many times. So this is to say that it's not a self-seeking love or a self-gratifying excuse for love that predominates in the type of romantic Hollywoodized marriages that we see on TV and in movies and so forth. This is talking about real sacrificial love, which is the willingness to give of self, even to sacrifice self if need be for the good of the other. And this is truly a Christ-centered approach to marriage. It is not an easy approach to marriage, but it is a Christ-honoring approach to marriage. And in fact, Christ himself as we know, is the perfect pattern of love to follow. Christ loved the church, his people, which is us. He loved us so much that he gave himself up for us. He sacrificed everything to help us and to save us. He did for us what we could never do for ourselves. And there's a goal in marriage to attempt to love each other, um, the husband to love him, his wife as he loves himself and vice versa and stated in Ephesians 5:33 that goes right along with the sacrificial love of a husband. So now let's take a look at what Gesh has to say about it, what it means to be a wife. We've just talked about what it means to be a husband in his opinion. Now we're going to talk about what it means to be a wife. So where does the wife fit into this picture and what guidelines does script, scripture offer her to uphold her end of their life together? Well, again, in Ephesians 5.33, we can see that the wife must respect her husband. And we did talk some about this last month as well, but it's so important that I felt it it bears repeating. So what does it mean for a wife to respect her husband? And what about the the other way around? Shouldn't they both be respecting each other? Of course they should. Um, But if the role of the husband is a love and a willingness to give up all for his wife is anything less reciprocal less. I'm sorry. Is anything less than reciprocal love and respect called for? So if there's a husband willing to give up all for his wife, that's the type of sacrificial love that the wife can, I believe pretty easily respect her husband for. Um, So, if we look at first John 4:19 it speaks of our love for Jesus yes but the principle still applies here too we love because he first loved us so it's this this concept of the husband loving the wife in a sacrificial manner and then the reciprocity of that on the part of the wife is to respect him in return and obviously love him as well that goes without saying but it's that type of love and respect reciprocal relationship that's the most effective um, kind of pattern if you will for a godly marriage and I know there's a, been a book series and a DVD series written on love and respect and those are very valuable lots of good truth in that as well if you're looking look, looking for a resource on love and respect in your marriage Um, So just to continue on as we continue to look at resolving conflict within a marriage, um, I want to look now at what Gesh says also about love within a marriage, and that is let that love be genuine. So the love that we were just discussing needs to be sincere and genuine. And it's interesting to note how various translators and editors have expressed this important directive which is found in Romans 12:9. So I'll just read some different translations of this verse here for you. Um, the first translation says, let love be genuine. Love must be completely sincere. And in contrast to these positive approaches, there are other translations that highlight this truth by coming at it from the opposite direction. So another translation says, let us have no imitation Christian love. Do not let your love be a pretense. And another translation says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. So the original Greek manuscript, which is um, the New Testament was originally written in Greek and the Old Testament in Hebrew. The original Greek manuscript here uses the word um, for, it uses the word non-hypocritical. And the picture here is of a stage actor who wore a mask to convey the moods and feelings of the play. So this is the Greek word for hypocrisy here that I'm describing. And so this mask, it hid the real person underneath. The audience saw only what the, the actor wanted them to see. And this game playing, so to speak, can be very damaging in all of life. But the setting in which pretense is the most devastating would be within a marriage. So his point here is that we need to be genuine and sincere in our love for one another and not putting on a mask or putting up false pretenses. The love needs to be true and it needs to be authentic and real. And that's at the core of a successful marriage. Um, a marriage also can and needs to be built on trust. Um, we must have and we must ever have complete confidence in one another and not just confidence that we're both good people or that we're good for each other. That's not what I'm referring to here. The bedrock undergirding in a marriage is that we truly love and trust one another. So love and trust are kind of the two bedrocks, if you will, or the two uh, cornerstones for um A Christ-centered marriage, and those are two sort of non—I don't want to say non-negotiable—but two of the key pieces for a successful marriage um, is love and trust. Because if one of the two of those is missing, there you're going to see that deficit show up every single day. So to really focus on working on how can I build love towards my spouse, what actions can I do to show my love in better ways? And how can I build trust in my spouse? How can I help my spouse to trust me and vice versa? When you're focused on those two key foundational pieces in the marriage, a lot of other things will easier. I don't want to say fall into place, but they will definitely become easier when you have those two pieces um, as consistent successes in your marriage. The Apostle John, who was noted for his love, says in First John 3.18, my children, our love is not to be just words or mere talk, but something real and active. And so we can ask that God would give us the strength and grace to keep the love in our marriage an action word, again, and not just an emotion. So going back to how do we um, show and demonstrate our love to our spouse? How can we de- be demonstrable of that love um, that we have for our spouse and also the trust as well? So how do we achieve the right attitude in a marriage to ensure that we don't fall into becoming too demanding of our spouse or thinking too highly of our own needs and not highly enough of our spouse's needs? Part of the secret of this is revealed in Romans twelve sixteen, which says, live in harmony with one another do not be proud do not be conceited and jesus put it this way in matthew 22:39 love your neighbor as yourself we must nurture a high regard for one another and i think that's a really key phrase nurturing a high regard one for one another in a marriage means recognizing the gifts that god has given your spouse and treating them accordingly. Your spouse is a beloved son or a beloved daughter of the most high God. And when you realize that your spouse is a gift to you, and if you're a woman and you're able to look at your spouse and say, this is God's son that I'm married to, not God's son, Jesus Christ, but this is God's son, adopted son, if you will, that I am married to, I need to treat him as such. And for husbands to be able to look at their wives and say, this is God's daughter. You know, we have human love for each other, but think how much more our heavenly father has his love for us. So are we really going to want our, to treat our spouse in a way that doesn't fully As much as we can in our our human fallen nature exemplify um, this concept that we are married to a very precious human being that is a son and daughter of the Most High God I think if you can grasp that concept it really does change how you treat your spouse Um, so that's again nurturing that high regard for one another we, may, we might not be at all alike. You might have a lot of differences. You might have a lot of, um, you know, different stances or opinions on things within a marriage. But neither spouse is superior to the other. And so our actions should reflect this biblical truth. Um, we need to stay humble in our marriages. The Apostle Paul put his finger on this when he confessed in 1 Corinthians 15.10 By the grace of God, I am what I am. He didn't put himself down, but at the same time, he knew where the credit belonged. By God's grace and with God's help, he had become what he was and had achieved what he had done, yet his attitude was one of humility and properly honor and glory to God. He gave the glory to God, and that's something that we have to remember not just in marriage, but in all areas of our lives as believers. So I want to continue now by addressing how to respond in a marriage when we've been hurt by our spouse. So this is something, obviously, that comes up frequently um, in the work that I do with uh, couples, and it can be very difficult, but also it can cause people to build walls around their hearts. So if you've been hurt by your spouse, uh, sometimes people respond by, well, I'm never going to let them hurt me again. And then by making a statement like that, if you can kind of get into the abstract with me a bit, you kind of build a wall or a fortress around your, your heart. And I've said this before on previous broadcasts, your fortress eventually becomes your prison. So essentially, you may be thinking that you're succeeding in keeping hurt out of your heart but you're not realizing that you're becoming trapped and not able to then receive love in return either. So be really cautious about building these walls or hardening your heart towards your spouse. The enemy gets a foothold with that. So in terms of hurt within a marital context, um, we will get hurt. There's no doubt about that. And no, we don't like it. It might make us angry because it's painful or, or unjust. Um, and anger is what's known as a secondary emotion, actually. Um, underneath it is usually pain or a sense of injustice. So we often end up the victim of someone else's self-focus, and what hurts worse is when it's caused by the one you love. So obviously we're going to be hurt in relationships in life, but it seems like within a marriage, when you're hurt within that context of love and trust and intimacy, the hurt can be even deeper and it can therefore require more attention and more work. So, I just and just want to say a word about the fact that no human being is ever going to be able to fully or completely meet all of our needs or not hurt us or act in a way that's always honoring at all times. Don't expect this. We talked about unrealistic expectations last month. And just to reiterate, the only one that can perfectly love us is Christ Jesus. So if we're putting expectations on our spouse that are way above what is realistic, we're bound to be disappointed all the time. And that's where people then get into the cycle of kind of giving up working on the marriage. And then they kind of, if you're not putting energy and work into the marriage, it's just by default going to um, eventually you know, cause um, distance and disconnect, you so you have to actually put the work and energy in to stay close. but if you continue to have uh, unrealistic expectations, you will continue to be let down because human beings can't perfectly do that. That has to be the Lord, and you need to look to the Lord for what you perceive to be a deficit in your marriage. Um, So we're all going to disappoint each other. We're going to let each other down from time to time. Um, Just keep an eye on expectations. We talked, like I said, about this at length last last time. If you want to go back and review it, um, it's an on-demand for um, on-demand listening. And it's not easy to deal with these kinds of hurts. And our old nature, also known as our flesh, usually wants retribution of some kind or payback and, you know, um, recompense. We know that there's a better way, and that's stated in Romans 12:17, which says, "Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone." So it's funny how the one we're most likely to hit back at is our own spouse, and maybe that's because we can usually do it without anyone seeing it. But repaying evil for evil only worsens the problem, and it sets the stage for more hurt. So Romans twelve twenty one says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If we get into a spirit of vengeance, we've lost the game. We've now been overcome by evil, essentially. We're just as bad as the person who hurt us, so to speak. Actually worse, because we had the chance to hold back, but we deliberately struck out. So our goal is to put an end to this game of hurting one another to overcome the evil. That's what we need to do, and there's only one way to do that. And that's to overcome evil with good. And this really can be effective in a marriage as Jesus proved it. He was despised and rejected, yet at the very worst moment of pain and sorrow as he hung transfixed on that cross, he he didn't condemn those who cursed him. Instead, he prayed, "Father, forgive them." for they know not what they do. That was a personal victory, but not even his ultimate triumph. That came when his resurrection proved that his sacrifice to atone for the sin of all mankind was sufficient and complete. That was his finished work on the cross. He had overcome all evil, and he did it for us. It's not easy to always follow Jesus' example. If it was, we'd (laughs) we'd have just beautiful relationships all the time. But it's certainly a worthy goal and um, it's the way to overcome in a marriage. It's the way to overcome disputes, petty arguments, disagreements, is by looking to Jesus and how he demonstrated love and seeking his help when we feel like we can't continue in our own strength to try to solve these issues. So we need to always remember, like I mentioned before, to draw on the strength of the Holy Spirit to give us the grace and the power to act in a way that's Christ-like. We don't have to do this in our own strength. And in fact, we can't. You might be able to, for a little while, (laughs) um, to be able to uh, be um, always appropriate in the way that you respond to your spouse, but it, it won't. It won't continue if it's only in your own strength you really need the strength of the Lord the Holy Spirit to help with that and so that's a key piece in um, keeping a marriage solid on the right track let's look now at ways in which we can learn to strengthen our marriage from a biblical perspective and overcome conflict um, at a little bit of a deeper level and I alluded to this at last month's broadcast that we'd we'll be talking about unforgiveness and forgiveness. And I want to spend some decent a decent portion of time on this tonight because it's so crucial um, when it comes to marital discord and um, conflict. So unforgiveness in marriage um, is really one of the biggest problematic uh, stumbling blocks, if you will that can cause people to really drift away from each other if they refuse to forgive. So Paul's important directive to all Christians um, in the New Testament is extremely important in the context of a marriage. And this is found in Colossians three twelve through 13. And it says, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, bear with each other And forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. All expressions of love are great, but there's none more Christ-like than that of forgiving and none more difficult. So when I counsel with married couples, this is really one of the main keys to moving forward in growth in a marriage. And that's to be able to forgive and to not harbor anger and bitterness you think of what a harbor does on a a lake, Um, it keeps the the strong winds and the the high waves from getting too close to shore, and it's a protective um, structure, and it can also protect the boats that are in the marina. So it's this idea, harboring means you're holding it close to yourself. So we don't want to harbor unforgiveness. We don't want to hold that close. We don't want to harbor resentment and hold that close. But so many times, that's exactly what people do. A good friend of mine has said that a good marriage is made up of two fast forgivers. So as we continue to look at forgiveness in a marriage, we'll look at what that means when there's been a very deep wound. Because certainly, if it's been an extremely deep uh, breach of the covenant, it's not going to be a quick forgiveness. But we will talk through how to process that. Scripture says that anger and unforgiveness gives the enemy a foothold and gives him an open door into our life and as a result into our marriage. So even within the close bond of love that we enjoy in a marriage, there's this need to forgive and to be forgiven. And it's pretty much constant because offenses can come quickly. And there's nothing in my experience that the enemy despises more than a Christ-centered marriage and a Christ-centered family. So if you're part of one of those, (laughs) um, understand that oftentimes you'll be in the crosshairs of the enemy's radar. And that's not to provoke fear or anything like that. Quite to the contrary, faith overcomes fear. But um, it's to make you aware that you likely won't be left alone if you're in a Christ-centered marriage. The enemy will look to try to bring destruction steal, kill, and destroy, that's his job, that's what he does, so we are to be sober and alert and be aware of these things, not that we look for a demon in every doorknob or blame every fight on the devil, but we also have to understand that he will try to play a role to bring destruction and to build a divisive wedge in your marriage. So despite our good intentions and our sincere efforts, we often make mistakes and offend our spouse ever since sin came into our world. We are not perfect people. Sometimes that's hard for us to accept, much harder to accept in others than in ourselves because we're often blind to our own faults. And this is where it's important to, as David says in Psalms, search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David is asking the Lord right there to search his heart. We can't always know what's in our own heart. We have to ask the Lord, we have to ask the Holy Spirit to show us, um, because it's important that we don't just look at the speck in our brother's eye when we have a log in our own eye. We can't just focus on the faults of our spouse um, when our own faults are often conspicuously before our own eyes. So who whose do we see more frequently than those of our own spouse? We see their faults the most. And that's why this phrase, bear with each other, is so important. Um, Also, be patient and understanding. Don't be quick to criticize and condemn. Forgive forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. And certainly we can accept that we're going to be disappointed, discouraged, and we will have reasons at times to um, expect more than we're hoping for and, and different things like that um but if a love that is self-focused and that's fickle can really be self-destructive within a marriage and with each little irritation that comes along then we're bound to lash out at our spouse and not extend the grace that we want extended to us and so forth so what happens when an offense occurs over and over and over again Doesn't there come a time when we protect ourselves from getting hurt anymore? As I mentioned before, people building walls around their house when we just refuse to continue to take it. And this is difficult, and we probably all know the feeling. It might be something we've talked to our spouse about a 100 times and it continues to happen. It can be very challenging. Um, Christ says in Luke 17.4 about this very thing, If your brother sins against you seven times a day and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, you have to forgive him. And that really is the kind of forgiveness that we need to practice and how we need to stand in the attitude of forgiving one another over and over again in the marriage. Um, This is not easy, especially when it's a, a repeated offense. And so if there's anything that really deserves a lot of effort and energy and prayer is this particular issue within a marriage when there's, you're not seeing a change in the spouse, even though you brought the issue up and you have to continue to forgive. So this is the type of thing that sometimes will really divide people. And that's where we have to come back to what does God's word say? Jesus' disciples' response coming back seven times and forgiving is Lord increase our faith so our re- reply might be more along the lines of saying are you kidding <laughs> but in either case we need to understand that this is something the Lord wants us to work on and this is where it helps when you can look at your spouse as God's daughter or God's son and look at them from that perspective to help be able to continue to do the right thing by forgiving, even when they continue to reoffend, forgiveness is actually more for you than it is for the offending party. and what I mean by that is at least then you have your heart right before the Lord, and that's so important in your own life that you don't give an en- the enemy a foothold by continuing to harbor unforgiveness Um, so it's important to draw our grace and strength like I mentioned from the Holy Spirit when we're talking about these more difficult issues of kind of reoffending and that's really where we can get the strength to forgive our spouse when it's the last thing that we feel like we don't have to fight this in our own flesh like I said we can get our power from the Lord and stay plugged into him and just as a side note here, but a very important one, the deeper the hurt, the longer the journey. So a lot of processing might be needed in order to forgive certain issues in in a marriage, such as abuse or adultery or things that are they're very deeply wounding. And sometimes you might need a therapist or counselor in situations like those to be able to know how to move forward um, in the relationship And actually gain help in learning how to forgive but it is possible to learn how to forgive and it comes as we seek God's power to follow his example which says forgive as the Lord has forgiven you and along with that scripture says to not let the Sun go down on your anger and we've probably most of us have heard that if we've been a believer for any period of time this principle is so important in a marriage like I alluded to before, so that bitterness and resentment don't take root and the enemy doesn't gain an advantage. And I stress this frequently the couples that I work with in my practice. If at all possible, try to resolve issues before the day ends and before you go to bed for the evening. Um, It says in scripture that God's mercies are new every morning. It doesn't say they're new every week or every month but that we are to take each day one day at a time. God puts a very high value on his creation of a day. And what I mean by that is if you look at the the Israelites and how they would be given manna for the day, he didn't pile it up for a few weeks. He gave them fresh manna each day. And if they tried to hold it over, it would grow stale and moldy. So God puts a special importance on each day that he's created you know there's so many scripture verses that talk about different aspects of a day um, such as you know when we worry you know it says each day has enough trouble of its own that type of thing so we have to also put that same value on each day that the lord puts on each day that's why it's so important that we don't let the sun go down on our anger because that that concludes the end of the day And each morning we need to have a new start on the day. Um, We can trust that God kind of resets us overnight, so to speak, as we sleep. And if we carry over previous wounds or hurts from the previous day into the, the next day, that just, I think, brings us down twice as fast and twice as hard because now we're carrying it over and we're breaking one of the guidelines that god says to do and that is to not let the sun go down our anger so i know i'm i'm speaking a lot about this particular issue but it is a very important element to not let satan get a toehold a foothold or a stronghold in your marriage by going to bed angry at your spouse something about sleeping through the night and having that same issue being there when you wake up, it seems to intensify all the more so, which is why I think the Lord makes so many strong statements about it. But let's talk now as we're beginning to wrap up about seeking forgiveness. So this is the other side. This is the other aspect to this whole matter of forgiveness. And as Christians, it's expected to go through... um, we're not expected, rather, to go through life simplistically repeating, you're forgiven, you're forgiven, you're forgiven, every time something goes wrong. Um, that's brought out also in the words of Jesus in Luke seven seventeen four. 4. If he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. So we there has to be a willingness on our end to forgive, even in repeated offenses, like I mentioned before. But there also needs to be a readiness on the part of the offender to come and say honestly and mean it and show fruit of repentance to show that they actually are repentant and not just sorry that they got caught or whatever, but that they're making an effort to change, you know, behavior if that's the particular situation. So this doesn't always happen. There's many times that we're forgiving a spouse who doesn't think they did anything wrong. So what does it mean if you say to your spouse, I forgive you, to a person who doesn't care whether or not he's done anything wrong? This is where it becomes a little more difficult, or I should say we have the opportunity to become more like Christ in these situations. Um, and this, this is one of the more challenging aspects in this whole realm of marital forgiveness. We need to land on the fact that at least we know that we're staying obedient to Christ and we're doing our own part, even when we're forgiving a spouse who's not repentant or who doesn't think they did anything wrong. Uh, we cannot control the actions or the responses of our spouse as much as we might wish we could. So this is really where the rubber meets the road is even if you don't get an apology, even if you don't get anything close to, and I'm sorry, you still need to go through the process of forgiveness for your own sake and for the well-being of your own heart. Because the Bible talks about your heart being the wellspring of life. So these types of attitudes, um, if they're not dealt with properly, can really wreak havoc in a relationship. So how can a spouse say, I'm sorry, and then go right out and do the same hurtful things all over again? And that, that, again, goes back to the forgiving the seven times Seventy, And we can become callous to the same apologetic look or the same apology if we don't see that attempt to change. But good marital ties require honest caring for one another. And two people who are truly close, they are going to need to do a lot of forgiving. But that's only possible when we sincerely understand that The Lord wants us to change, not just for the sake of our spouse, but for who we are in his sight and the work that he wants to do on us. So that sincere desire to do better next time doesn't even have to originate with us. We can ask the Holy Spirit to help us want to do better by our spouse next time. So again, I would stress that as long as you're doing your part, and if God is calling you to forgive, and he always is, (laughs) then you're in the right then you're in right standing with the lord and it's not up to you how your spouse may re, may respond or doesn't respond we can't close our eyes and walk away from the wrongs that we do hoping that they won't be noticed or felt nor can we hope that the other person will just graciously overlook them every time but we need to remember the importance that forgiveness has in our marriages. And the quicker we can learn to forgive, the stronger that God can show himself in our relationships. And we can move forward in him through his help and his strength. So ultimately, ultimately in closing, a Christian marriage is a reflection of Christ's relationship that he has with us as his bride. And he is our bridegroom, as we said earlier. The implications of this analogy and the picture of this great love for us can put a brand new perspective on how we deal with issues within our marriage and how we learn to respond to our spouse in ways that bring honor to our God. It changes how we see marriage when we realize the high value that our Lord Jesus Christ puts on it. So that's all the time that we've got left for today and I truly pray that this two-part series on dealing with marital conflict has blessed you and has been a great help to you. That's my prayer, and I will just um, take this time now to close us up in a word of prayer. I hope you'll join me as I as I take um, this whole two-part series to the Lord. Father God, we just thank you for the opportunity um, to discuss this topic, Lord. One that's so important and carries so much value when we can really learn to see our spouse as you see them and to understand these concepts that we've discussed over the past two broadcasts um, and the tools that have been given to help us to be able to be the spouse that you want us to be in our marriages, Lord God. We pray for your help. We thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the fact that the Holy Spirit can empower us and enable us and strengthen us to this high calling of being who you want us to be in our marriage, Lord, as it, as it shows that reflection of you as our bridegroom and us as your bride. So we pray that we can hold true to that. I pray for anyone listening that's in the midst of marital conflict or even might even be on the verge of a separation or a divorce, Lord, or anywhere in between on the entire continuum of issues that can come up in a marriage. I just pray, Lord, for hope for those people. I pray, Lord, for strength to them, that they would turn to you, that they would have a renewed desire to work on the things in their marriage, Lord, while understanding that they're also allowing you to work on us and that's the bigger picture and so I just pray Lord for comfort um, for those that are hurting I pray for healing for those that have been through um, difficult situations in their marriages Lord God you are greater than all of that and you can heal anything even when we don't feel that you can or when we feel that we've hit a wall that's just impassable You, Lord, can heal anything. So I just pray, Lord, that you would strengthen and give hope and and grace and comfort to those that need it that are listening today for their particular situations, Lord. And I just pray for your blessing um, to be upon each one who's been listening tonight, Lord God. May this inspire them and encourage them and ultimately, above all else, draw them closer to you. We ask all these things in your glorious and holy name. Amen. So I thank you again, once again, uh, for just for listening this evening. And I hope you'll join me next month for my next broadcast. And if you'd like to contact me directly at Healing Word, which is my private practice, please feel free to call 414-254-9862 or visit my website at healing-word.com. Thank you very much and God's richest blessings be upon you.